You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis. We have actually quite a bit to talk about on the show. As promised, we were we are going to discuss what happened with the Rule 5, who was added, who was not, who could see themselves selected. Uh, had some names I was asked about. Talk about a trio of big names that were designated for assignment as teams were making room on the roster. And we'll start off by talking about Mike Chernoff, who I mentioned on the show that I wouldn't be shocked, but I'd be surprised if he left. And apparently he's not even interviewing with the Mets. We don't know if he was denied permission to speak with the Mets. I have a hard time believing that would occur for a couple of reasons. The first off being uh, the reported position would have been a promotion. So I don't think they would be allowed to deny him to interview for a higher ranked position from what I understood. And in the past, the Indians have never blocked anyone, even when, you know, technically Mark Shapiro, due to his position, was taking a lateral move with the Jays. They didn't even get compensation from that. Uh, They got Shapiro left. They raided the Indians for a lot of staff and the Indians, you know, they just moved on with uh, with the with the team as it is and the current setup and situation. And if they didn't block that, I have a hard time believing uh, that they'd block Chernoff. He seems very happy in Cleveland. Um, the Mariners and Phillies in the past have tried to get him, and he has turned that down. I, I feel like, yes, Antonetti was there first. Antonetti is technically president of baseball operations. But I feel like Mike Chernoff feels like it's a... I feel like between those two, it really is a real partnership. And again, I'll just go back and harp on what I've talked about in, uh, on the show previously, which is... The one thing you can say that is very nice about Paul Dolan, uh, you can go out and have you can have all sorts of talks about the way uh, finances are handled, this or that. Paul Dolan knows knows he has great staff and he gets out of their way. You don't want to risk going to a team like the Mets and having an owner who's going to be, I mean, you can already see Steve Cohen is out there throwing ideas, this and that. I mean, he, he seems like he's energized the fan base. But remember when Jimmy Haslam (laughs) energized the Browns fan base? Uh, Hands-on ownership can seem like a nice idea when you've been used to, like, someone who is not involved. Dolan's best feature is he gets out of the way and lets the baseball people do what they need to do, and that is why the Indians have been successful. You don't want to go to a situation like the Mets and feel that you are getting handcuffed, um, that you're going to have to spend just because the money's there. And, I mean, this is a free agency where you could go out and do a lot of damage but it is interesting that it's not just this Mets job. The Mariners, the Phillies, he just doesn't have any interest going out there. We know New York asked to speak with the Brewers president of baseball operations, David Stearns, who might have, I know uh, Chernoff was a New Jersey kid. I believe Stearns was a Mets fan growing up. I think both of them had local ties. Now, they were de- they were denied by Milwaukee because it was a lateral move. For Chernoff, Chernoff, it would not have been a lateral move, and that is why I do not think the Indians could have denied him. And like I said, he's happy. And I feel great that the Indians have two very smart baseball people that are happy and content, and I feel great that we're not losing uh, one of those people. And if you are a Mets fan, 
I knew a lot of Mets fans who wanted Chernoff. Uh, Ryan over at Lockdown Mets, who we had on the show uh, two weeks ago, that was his guy. That's who he wanted the Mets to add. That was his number one guy. It's all through some tweets online. And again, that just goes to show you the respect he carries and, you know, the value in keeping him in place. So let's talk some Rule 5. Uh, we'll talk about the Indians guys, and then we'll talk about the big names that were let go. Just some interesting names, one of which I think is someone the Indians should definitely consider in free agency if they have any money at all to spend, which again, they may not. <laughs> I am not convinced that they are going to spend a dive in free agency. I'm not convinced uh, that they're going to, even if they get someone to eat all of Lindor's contract and they trade Carrasco and, you know, take that $30 million off the books, I am not convinced any of it will get reinvested because when you look at the comments from this offseason, when the season ended, I should say, uh, that they borrowed tens of millions of dollars to make the season happen this year, which I don't know why they needed to with all the money. Because again, remember, not only have the Indians gone up from a few hundred million to a close to a billion, you know, it's a $600 million increase in value. But when the, uh, the Dolans made a TV network and sold that, not only did they get, uh, you know, whatever the amount is, which I can't think of off the top of my head, not a huge amount per year compared to many others. But the valuable thing was they got like close to $200 million lump sum in that deal, which never gets counted. So they should, there's no way that this team is operating at a net loss since the Dolans have taken over. They're just not. They had a lot of years with low income uh, or low salaries, I should say. And it's baseball. I have a hard time believing that in a sport that made $10 billion last year, the Indians somehow operated at a loss. I know losing that 20% ownership bid uh, is incredibly painful. I, I knew that that more than anything else is what set back the Indians, but just want to kind of reiterate my points um, and my annoyance. So the Indians, I talked about on the show on Friday, five open spots. Who were they going to add? Might they only add four and try to add someone in the draft? which had been a long time since they had uh, done. Well, they ended up adding five. And the four players that I called locks were all added. It was very interesting seeing, like, MLB.com. Uh, they do a great job. But, like, in their piece, they had Oviedo and Will Benson is, like, their projected people. I'm like, Benson, to me, is not even a top 30 prospect for the Indians. Yes, I could use a first-round pick. We talked to him a bit on the show on Friday. But his, his star is fallen like he does not seem like a likely major leaguer at all um and then uh cleveland plain dealer echoed that like they basically said you know this is what mlb is doing and then mentioned those names and in the, the plain dealer piece i saw on friday they didn't even mention eli morgan like his name didn't even come up not even in the other names to know which i found frustrating uh as well so the indians protected eli morgan as i projected carlos vargas nolan smith gabriel arias you know Jones, Arias, Morgan to me were all without a doubters. I understand Vargas, but I'm not a huge fan. Fifth, Ernie Clement was a small surprise. I know they like him, and people are like, why did they add him? At the end of the day, he is a... I'll tell you why they added him. He's going to play in the bigs. Like, he's a big leader. He may not play a ton of games, but could he be like a plush? A, pl a plush? No, he's not a plush. Could he be a plus like Eric Stemetz, Maybe you know, a John McDonald, something like that. He's never hitting the minors, and that continues to be an issue. Like, there's no power at all in his game. 
He doesn't walk enough. Now, he never strikes out. There is value in that. Uh, 1,100 plate appearances in the minors, only 81 strikeouts. You know, he was one of the hardest players to strike out in college baseball. That was basically his one-plus statistics statistic as a college baseball player. That's what stood out when I was scouting him back at his UVA days was his extremely low uh, strikeout percentage. But right now, I, I don't see any profile more than a quad a guy uh again being like a stamets uh max morhoff those players uh he's not a bad defender but he's not a great defender there's nothing where you're like well that's a plus plus defender at short yeah he can play some short he can play some second some third maybe some center and play all of them average or grade down which is what you want out of a utility player i mean that's that's essentially what you're kind of viewing him as and he runs well and uh he doesn't strike out and it's not exciting but why do the indians protect eric stamets because in their mind he's a no doubt major leaguer no doubt he is going to play in the big leagues at some point in his career so why wouldn't you want to keep the guy who's a no doubt major leaguer and that is my stamets uh (laughs) scouting report in a nutshell We will talk about all the other players and those three names in a moment here. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. This is a product that I can get behind, and I've gotten behind many times on this product because it's a product I use. Built Bar is a fantastic tasting bar. It It is good for you, and it tastes good. I always recommend to go get the mix box. When you go to BuiltBar.com, promo code locked on, get 20% off your order. I wish I could still use that promo code. I'm looking forward to when they reset it so I can use it again. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. I have made four offers in my time. Always go with the the mix box. You're going to enjoy all the different flavors. It's nice to be able to switch flavor to flavor day to day. So that is my recommendation. BuiltBar.com. Using that promo code locked on. You'll save your 20%. You'll get a fantastic tasting product, something that will give you the energy to get you through your day. Again, it's not just me. It's all the Locked On hosts uh, get excited when we uh, when we think we might get some more free product from Built Bar. That it is our favorite sponsor, just in terms of what I see in the group chat. BuiltBar.com, promo code Locked On. So we've only gotten there's the so's. You know we're back. We've only gotten one player in. Uh, Gabriel Arias. After talking about Clevenger a lot last week, I don't think I really need to dive into it more. I will say again, you know, I had a lot of people as I talked about him this week, go look at those high A numbers again as a 19-year-old. Yes, it's the California League. Yes, it's Lake Elsinore. But 120 games at the age of 19, 302 average, 339 on base, 470 slugging, 17 home runs, 21 doubles, 128 strikeouts to 25 walks. There was an improvement through the second half, and that is what I heard from a lot of people. But 19 years old in high A, he held his own while being one of the best defensive shortstops at his level. I'm just going to leave that there. There's a reason why I think he's one of the top four prospects in the Indian system, and I think they agree. Nolan Jones. Uh, do I need to comment more on him? I, you know, for a long time, I was like, I think he could be a rich man's Russ Brannion. Then I saw that Russ Brannion's run into some run afoul of the law in the past year or so. I can't do the Russ Brannion appreciation podcast I had planned, but maybe I can instead like make the Jack Cust appreciation podcast. You know, there's a whole series of hitters uh, before Moneyball with on-base percentage and power that didn't necessarily get their love. It's like, you know, the the I was doing the stuff about Russ Brannion and uh, 
I believe it was Ed on uh, Twitter, Ed uh, Revelator, uh, had the thing that Russ Brannion walked so Adam Dunn could run. And it's just perfect wording in that. And I still love it because, you know, the whole idea of the, the walk and the high average. And is Nolan Jones stealing Adam Dunn? I hate to give that on anyone, uh, but I think he could ceiling. I'm not saying he is Adam Dunn, but I'm looking at something uh, as a possible ceiling where what could he be? I mean, that's to me that that makes more sense. I think that is a situation you're looking at with the power potential and everything else. And he was, again, someone very easy to protect for the Indians just because of uh, how good he is and uh, what we can see just in terms of age relative to level, the power, the eye at the plate. It is utterly, you know, fantastic to look at some of those numbers. Let's talk about the two pitchers. Um, man, I... Uh, so, Carlos Vargas. Uh, Vargas is the anti-me of pitchers. Uh, like, when you're looking at guys that I'm just not going to be necessarily high on, Carlos Vargas, all I heard was, you know, off-the-wall stuff, off-the-wall stuff, off-the-wall stuff in 2018-2019. And he was good in Mahoning Valley. He wasn't great. Uh, he was an average pitcher. But when I hear about a guy, and, you know, it, I hear from people still who think, like, that he could pitch in a bullpen next year just because of the fastball-slider combo. If he has two pitches that are good enough to pitch in the big leagues, why was he a back-end best starter in short-season baseball? That is always the biggest indicator for me of concern. You know, it's, it's my Jeff Hoffman corollary, where for so long everyone was so high on Jeff Hoffman this, Jeff Hoffman that. He was going to be the number two pick in the draft before he got hurt, slid down to 10 Toronto. I thought, oh, maybe that's a... St-. Like, I talked myself into him. And the whole idea there was, like, why is he not dominating East Carolina? That is a... And through the years, Kyle Wright with the Braves. I'm like, why are his numbers not as good as his scout rankings? You know, it, there's just certain things that... Yes, you know, Vargas is young. We didn't get the season this year to see if he could have, you know, turned a corner. It, it makes it hard to evaluate. But we'll see. Um you know, why is Juan Carlos Mejia still on the 40-man? Like, they're still—and uh, that's kind of the Indians' issue. They'll take chances on their pitchers and not on their hitters that uh, maybe need some protection. I was scared they'd lose Jose Fermin a year ago. We'll see if he gets—I doubt he gets selected after being eligible for a second year. But, I mean, maybe. like Interesting walk rate numbers, stuff like that. Uh, but I knew they'd protect Vargas because for the same reason that they protected Mejia and they protected Salazar before then. And Salazar worked out, and I probably wouldn't have protected him in all honesty. But Mejia hasn't, and some of the moves since then have not, and it's just, it has not been ideal. Let's let's be uh, let's be honest. The stuff that, that they have done, a lot of these arms just have not worked out. Eli Morgan, uh always a fan of his for no other reason than man did I call that pick I literally at the start of the eighth round in 2017 said okay this is uh we start officially the Eli Morgan Indians um watch and back in that point in time I was doing a who's on first I think was a podcast of myself and Taylor Blake Ward and we were talking stuff on our draft podcast and I was just like um so is there any way he'd Morgan does not go to the Indians he's five foot ten he's got a plus secondary offering he doesn't walk anyone in college uh, and we joked about it, and then it came true. And what has Morgan done since then? Across three seasons in the minors, a 308 earned run average, uh, 10 strikeouts per nine, 2.3 walks per nine, 0.08 home runs per nine. 
Yes, it was a little weird last year with him and Akron that his home runs per nine went up to 1.1, and he had a one all of last year. Akron is not normally a place that uh, is known as a home run haven, and that was definitely the he had his biggest home run numbers. Now, what you have to do is see their 12 home runs. Now, I could go through a game log and be like, okay, did he have a bad game in Reading, which is has arguably the same dimensions as a high school baseball park, and that's where you kind of have to, and that is why, to a degree, home run rates are considered fluky by some, and I get that. I like to look at multiple seasons of home run rates myself just because there is some degree of fluke to that number. What there is not a degree of fluke to is that, you know, when he got promoted to Akron in 19 games, he had a 9.2 strikeout per nine, 2.9 walk per nine. And that's just what he does. Like, he misses bats. He's got maybe the best changeup in the minor league system. Fastball, not super fast, but it's still hard to pick up. It's got good spin. He can spot everything well. He's got multiple secondary pitches, but he's 5'10" with a low 90s fastball, so he's never going to be viewed as a top prospect. I mean, even someone like myself has argued for a while that he's five foot ten. he's never going to get a chance to start. Put him in the bullpen and fast track him. That fastball change combo will make him an effective reliever. I have no doubt in my mind about that, and that is why you had to protect him. Someone would have tried him out of the pen. I have no doubts in my mind that Eli Morgan would have been an easy pick for some other team. Uh, he's been, he has not struggled yet. He has not had a struggle in his career, unless you want to count his one game in Columbus at the end of last year. He had one start in AAA, and it wasn't great. Or I should say two years ago in 2019. Other than that, he has advanced through the minors extremely well. And yeah, I think he is still incredibly underrated at this point in time. So the big names that were designated for assignment, Trevor Williams, the Pirates, he was in line, I want to say, for about $5 million, uh, maybe $6 million. It, you know, or No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably about 3 and a half to $4 million. Now, he had been good in 2018. 2019, not great. 2020, not good at all. I get why they're doing it. You know, it's saving a little bit of extra money for the Pirates. It's a little bit surprising because you'd think, well, it's only 3 and a half to $4 million. Maybe... They could get him to pitch better this year, and then you have a trade asset. But no, the Pirates just let him go. If they could have found a market for him, I'm sure sure they would have uh, traded him, but there was nothing to be found. So Trevor Williams, one of those big names. Interest for the Indians, low. Uh, Renato Nunez, who we talked about on this very podcast just, what, two weeks ago? Back-to-back strong years at the plate. 31 home runs in 2019. He had... Uh, 12 this year, but a 121 OPS plus and 816 OPS. The advanced stats were not high on him. And I think that kind of hurt him. Yes, he was going to be in line for a nice range, somewhere between 2 to 4 million. Nice range, I think I meant to say nice raise. He's going to be worth about 2 to 4 million. Bad defender a third. Doesn't walk at all. Hits for power, but probably more of a first baseman uh, DH type. I wasn't even all that interested in trading for him when you dove into the advanced stats. The he There's a lot of reasons to think that he's not going to be successful. It is interesting to look at who Baltimore added. They had to add a bunch of players. Uh, Ryland Bannon and Yusnel Diaz uh, both came over in that Machado trade with the Dodgers. Michael Bauman was a recent high pick. Uh, if you've followed any of my draft stuff, Ryland Bannon and Zach Lothar, Lothar who they also added, 
uh, or Xavier kids. I've been huge on Lothar. He's one of those guys like Joey Murray, uh, who went to Kent State and is in Toronto system, where everyone keeps doubting them. Murray and Lothar and Eli Morgan, and they keep producing. It's like it's, at some point, I guess they should struggle. But for instance, Lothar's ERA through his three minor league series seasons, 2.26. Again, not an exact science, but that's that's pretty good. His strikeouts per nine through his minor league career, 10.5. Walk rate, three. Yes, the last year in Double uh, A, he had a strike rate of 9.4 and a walk rate of 3.8. But people just can't pick his stuff up. 6.2 hits per nine. I, I have a hard time seeing Zach Lothar. And he's never listed in the Orioles' top 10 prospects. I'm very high on him. I would put him in there because, in my mind, someone like him is no worse than a future reliever. I, I don't sometimes understand things where I'm like, the production. And I understand sometimes you can get away with less than the minors as a pitcher. If you got good secondary stuff, that can cover all sorts of sins. But uh, I was happy to see that he got added to the 40-man by the Orioles. But yeah, Nunez, not a surprise. I guess then it comes down to the name that, you know, I had people tweeting at me off the bat, and that was Hunter Renfro, and that was a bit of a surprise. Now, Taylor Walls and Josh Lowe talked about our top prospects that uh, Tampa had to add. Drew uh, Strotman was the other name, and then they also let go of Brian O'Grady. I don't think O'Grady is too big of a surprise. Uh, He didn't play a lot for them, and they have so much outfield depth. You know, he's uh, one of those players that he's bounced around a bit. You know, he played for Cincinnati in 2019. He was a nice depth guy for them. Strotman, I was, you know, I knew of him, but I, I didn't have a depth of knowledge on him. I was a little bit surprised because this is a guy who uh, there has been some injuries, there have been some setbacks. Um, but, you know, exciting arms always get added. So Hunter Renfro, last year he was negative war in value. Um, a lot of people, I don't know how deeply they looked at him, a 156 batting average, 252 on base, 393 slugging, a 645 OPS. Now that actually marks the second straight year his OPS has declined. So that is a concern that here he is at age 28 with two years of declining data and the overall production wasn't there, uh, for him at all with Tampa. So you get why when he is probably going to make, I imagine, somewhere around five, maybe six. Uh, uh, see, I keep overdoing it. Like, I keep expecting players to get these big raises, but no one knows what's going to happen. Uh, MLB Trade Rumors has him at a 3.5. So I am intrigued by Renfro. Like, he is a buy-cheap candidate for me because he's always been a an up-and-down talent. Uh, just in terms of physical tools dating back to his college days. Uh, I don't know how many people remember, and I'm going to get myself in trouble uh, by messing up which Mississippi school he went to, so I'm not going to tell you which one he went to, but it was one of those Mississippi programs. But Renfro was a catcher up until his final year where he moved to the outfield, and I I gave him like a top 10 talent grade, and then he kind of faded a bit in the minors, was not a huge prospect. You look at something like 2018, though, 91st percent of the league in barrel percentage, uh, 82nd in hard hit, 69th in exit velocity. Jump to 2019, barrel percentage is still at 84. Exit velocity is at 64, but expected batting average, Ks, whiffs, slugging, all of that is way down. But here is what's interesting. Outs above average, 88th percentile. Outfielder jump, 60th. Sprint speed, 54. So he's actually getting 
some good breaks on the ball, which the year before is outs above average, 29th percentile. So he jumped up a lot. Uh, let's go to 2019, the most recent full season. Actually, we just talked about 2019. I'm sorry, let's go to 2020. Outs above average plummets back to 36, so I don't know what to make of that. His outfielder jump is up, his sprint speed is up, but his defense isn't good. So 2019, he had the good defense. Barrel percentage is down to 59th percentile from being up in the 90s and high 80s before this. Exit velocity, 61. Again, if he's cheap, uh, Mississippi State. There we go. It's actually listed in front of me. I just wasn't looking for it. If he is cheap, he's an interesting player to gamble on. Um, He... Bat. He's a right-handed bat. The Indians actually have a lot of those, which may not make him the best candidate for the team. But the tools are there. Like there are physical tools. This is a guy who has run well, has shown good defense at points in time in his career, has hit for power. I'm not saying he's a a great player. Let's put it that way. I'd like his walk percentage was up this year and has been going up every single year of his career. So that is a positive. He's always struck out a lot. But I'm just curious to see overall like why his launch angle was down and why his barrel percentage was down. Like why he went from twelve point four and twelve to nine point three. Why was it just a bad year? Was it him having to platoon and not being used to that? I don't know, but I'd be curious to see. Now there are a lot of teams with needs at outfielder and I'm sure someone else might jump on him. And again, I'm have no idea if the uh, the Indians even have a dime to spend. But he was the name that I had a lot of people commenting on the, the minute they saw the some of the big names that were released. So we had to comment on that. I've been Jeff Ellis. You can find all of my baseball hot takes over at Jeff MLB Draft. And as always, go Tribe.